Well, it's great to be with you this morning. It's, it's uh, good to see you. I didn't get to introduce myself earlier, so my name's Corey, and I'm the lead pastor here at GFC, and I'm excited to continue our conversation today. And if this is your first time checking in with us uh, for a little while, or your first time ever, we're in a sermon series for the summer called Confronting Christianity. And just a reminder, this is not a series that is unique to us. We can't take complete credit for this. This is based off of a book that was written in 2019. And so if, I would encourage you to get it if you'd like to and, and engage with it. And one of the things that we're doing is taking nine weeks throughout the course of the summer, this is week six, and asking difficult questions. And so these are questions that maybe you've received from other people or you've heard asked on TV or in the news or something, or you've wrestled with it yourself. And so we're using our time this summer to dive into these difficult questions. And by the way, our youth group is going to do the same thing. So they're getting ready to kind of have some of these conversations as well. And so sometimes you take the summer off from intellectual things. Well, we've decided to do the opposite. And so that's what we're diving into. If you've missed any of the weeks, you are welcome to go back online to our podcast and listen back to the first few weeks. But this week's question is this, has science disproved Christianity? Now, just a little bit of a warning. Today's talk is going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy. Okay. So sometimes I try and I mix the two. We do a good amount of information, good amount of preaching. And we're going to feel a little bit more on the information side a little bit today. We'll get to the preachy part later. But I just wanted to give you that heads up. Science and the conversation with science has some things that we need to talk through that are a little bit more information driven. And then we're going to ask the question, how does that connect with Christianity? Are, are Christianity and our science at odds with one another? Maybe you felt that. Maybe you've seen that in culture where someone who would say, I'm going to put all my chips on the scientific side of things, might look at religion or Christianity and say, you're just believing in things that aren't real. You're believing in myths. You're believing in a fairy in the sky. You're believing in something that's just not true. Some people that would put all their chips in the religion or Christianity side of things might shy away from science and say science is leaning too much into your own understanding and, and our own abilities rather than simply believing in God. And what I'm helping us understand today, what I would want us to understand is that there is a deep connection with science and Christianity. And there's great things that can come when we put those two things together and how we understand those things well. But I want to start off today a little bit different than normal. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask for a volunteer. And I promise, I promise, first of all, I will not embarrass you. I promise I will not ask you any difficult questions. Okay, so is there anyone that would be willing to be a volunteer for me and come up on stage with me? All right, Ashley, come on up. I saw Ashley's hand first. Okay, so Ashley, <clears throat> I'll bring you up. Let everybody see that you're here so everybody can see you online too. Cool. All right, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you this pen, and I want you to take apart the pen. So just like a normal, just like you've ever done, right? You're just sitting at maybe in school or at work, and you're bored, and you're just like taking apart a pen. So if you take it apart, and then I want you to take it completely apart, see how many pieces you can find, and then tell us how many pieces there are to this pen. Does that part come apart too? I didn't try this before, so I don't know if that one. If that's good, then that's fine. So how many pieces are we at? Five. Five. Okay, so there's five pieces to the pen. Now, Ashley, do you think that you could put the pen back together just the way you took it apart? Okay, great. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it back together, but... but I want you to use this box, and I want you to put all the pieces in the box. And I want, yeah, I want you to put all the pieces in the box right, like they are right now. 
And then the way that I want you to put them back together is I want you to shake the box around for a little bit. Okay. So just stand over there for a minute and just shake, shake that for a while. Okay, great. So while Ashley is shaking the box to try and put the pen back together, can you shake a little quieter? That's okay. I'm just joking. So while she's shaking the box around, right? That's good. <laughs> I've done this before with my classes in high school. And the reason we do this type of experiment is because we're showing at a very base level, a very basic understanding of what is needed for evolution. Because when we have this conversation, one of the questions that will come up about science and Christianity is, is there a problem or do we see things in the world that would lean more towards evolution than Christianity? And so as I'm doing this, by the way, disclaimer, if you are someone who's watching for the first time, you're not a follower of Jesus, I am not making fun of you by having us do, why aren't you still shaking? Okay, by having us do this experiment. But I'm just trying to help us understand. So you can stop for a second. So let me just explain what, what Ashley's doing, right? For evolution to happen, there are three basic things we need. We need matter or, or stuff. So, right, we took, we took the pen, we took it apart. That's the stuff that's in the box. Can you shake it just so we know it's still there? Okay, great, still there. So we still have all the matter, right? Now, the second thing you need is time. So Ashley's standing here. She's been up here for, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, just shaking the box. Do you, you want to check and see if it's a pen yet? It's <laughs> just like, it's not a pen. The pen. Nope, okay, that's good. Okay, so we have time, and then we have energy. And so Ashley is providing the energy by shaking the box around, right? So we need time, we need matter, and we need energy. And what evolution says is you have those three basic things. Again, this is a very basic level. You have those three things, you put them all together, and eventually you come up with something. In our case, a pen. Now, look in the box one more time and just see if it's a pen. No? Didn't go together. Now, how many of you, like, you don't need to raise your hand on this, but like, if I said, would you bet $100 that in five minutes, Ashley's going to have a pen? Nobody would say yes to that. If I, if I said in an hour, do you believe Ashley would have a pen? Probably not. If we made her stand here until next Sunday and shake this box, you could, you could take breaks to go to the bathroom and eat. That was it, okay? That's it. Any, anyone still think, yeah, sleep, nope, sleeps out. So you, you still just have to spend all that time shaking the box. Do we think there's going to be a pen in the box? Probably not. Okay, we'll give Ashley a round of applause. Thank you for joining us. I said I wouldn't embarrass you, but I kind of made you look silly, so I apologize for that. But, but here's the point, right? There were five pieces to that pen, and yet we would not expect that over the course of a ton of time, maybe even a year, if we just shook this pen around, that we would expect the pen to go back together. And the reason for that is because there's a there was a creator to the pen. This pen is not something that would take a lot of time to create. It's not a very expensive thing. I'll give you a free one, right? It's just they're not very expensive or difficult to make. And yet we would still assume that there would be a person behind the design and the creation of that pen. I have another picture I want to put up here on the screen for us so that we can understand this. I didn't take this picture. I stole it from the internet, so full disclosure. But if you we're just walking through the desert as you do, right? You just walk through the desert and you came across this car. Some of the questions you would start to ask about this car would be, how did it get here? Where did it come from? Who drove it here? Where were they going? Right? You would ask all those kinds of questions. What you would never assume if you found this car in the middle of the desert, you would never assume that it got there by accident. 
You would never assume that maybe there was a, I don't know, a tornado, and just all of a sudden all the pieces of this car were together, and they came and they just landed all together and became a car in the desert. What we would assume is that there was someone who designed the car. They put it together, they built it, and someone had the motivation to drive it to get it to this point. We would always assume that there's someone behind what we're seeing. And so when we think about science and we think about Christianity, what we're ultimately saying is we believe that there is someone or something behind all of what we're seeing in the world. We would say that when we look at the universe, when we look at ourselves as humans, when we look at our environment, that there was a design and there was a creator that put it all together. And so from that perspective, how do we understand science and Christianity and the way they come together? There are four things today that I want to highlight to help us understand the way we help science and Christianity relate to one another. By the way, you're welcome to go to our website if you'd like and go to the follow along tab. You can find all those notes and all the verses we're going to use today on the site. But here's the first thing I want us to understand about science. Science is like the instruction manual to our world. So let's go back to the car example, okay? So let's say we just, we agree that the car got there by accident. Tornado, all the pieces, boom, there's a car. Here's what you definitely wouldn't expect to be true. You wouldn't assume. You also would not assume that by accident there was a, an instruction manual or an owner's manual completely printed out and perfectly working order in the glove compartment. But here's what I want us to understand. Science is like that user manual. See, even if the world did come together by accident and we came together by accident and we're all here, science is actually the instruction manual that then has been handed to us for the way that we understand the world around us. And so it would be odd, it would be very strange, it would not be likely that if something happens by accident that there would be an instruction manual that is also handed to us. But what I believe God has done with science is he has given us the ability to understand the world around us. And when we get that information, when we get that instruction manual or that owner's manual, we then can use the world around us and understand the world around us to we can leverage it for ourselves. We can use it to provide things like shelter for ourselves. We can use it to understand the way that God has put things together. And one of the cool things is when we look at Scripture, we can actually see that God gives us little nods ahead of time to show that he understands the world that he made. I want to go to uh, two places really quick, two books of the Bible. We're going to go to Job and we're going to go to Leviticus. Okay. I bet you haven't been to Leviticus for a while, right? It's been a minute. We don't usually go to Leviticus a lot. But I want to go to Job. We're going to read one verse in Job 26. We're going to read verse 7. And we're going to bounce around a little bit today. So like I said, if you want to keep up with us, the easiest way is to go to the follow along tab on our website, and you'll find everything listed there for you. But in Job 26, verse 7, it says this, God stretches the northern sky over the empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Now, we read that, those of us who have seen pictures from spaceships and, and things like that, and we see that the earth is hung on nothing. But this was thousands of years ago. They didn't understand that the earth was hung on nothing. In fact, they would come up with theories about what was holding up the earth, right? You ever seen the picture of Atlas, right? He's like holding the earth like this. Th that was a thought process because they would think about what is holding the earth up? What is supporting us and we're not just like 
falling. Like you would pick something up and drop it. Why is our planet still being held up? And they would assume that there was someone holding it up or there were things that were supporting it like pillars. And yet what Job writes here as, as he's having this conversation with God is he says that he hung the earth on nothing. And that's exactly what God did, right? He hung it on nothing. There is nothing. We just, we're in orbit and that gravity plays a part in that, but there's nothing that's like sitting under us, propping us up, right? We're just out there in space. And Job would have seen that from the stars. He could see what space was, but he would not have known what was keeping our earth where it is. A second place I want us to look at is Leviticus 17. And we're going to just read verse 11. It says this, For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Now, if you're listening to this conversation and you're thinking, um, the understanding that blood is important for life is not necessarily a novel idea, okay? Someone thousands of years ago, they could have seen somebody die, they fell off of something, they get stabbed, something bad, right? And they realized that blood leaving the body was a key contributor to that person dying. That's very possible. Except for one thing. Until just a few hundred years ago, doctors would bleed people to try and get their disease out. So we know that even just in the last few hundred years, this was a process to try and help people. People would remove blood to help you get better. We know today that is not what you're supposed to do, right? Even when you go give blood, which I do not do because I'm afraid of needles, but you, when you go give blood, right, you, they tell you, lay down. That's what they always have to say to me, lay down because you don't look so good, okay? Like you lay down, here's a cookie, here's some juice, right? There, there's this like, even when you just give blood on purpose, there's this attitude of, we need to make sure you're okay. We need to make sure you're all right. Even when you give it for a good reason. And yet what they knew in Leviticus, what God tells them is that the life of the body is in its blood. They wouldn't have understood this. This is ahead of its time and an understanding from a scientific perspective. I want to go back to Job for a minute. I told you I'm going to make you jump around. Job 38, verse 16 says this. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Now, I did some research into this to kind of see how we understand this principle. We assumed, I say we as in humankind, assumed that there were some springs that fed the oceans. Okay, And that thought process kind of came into being around the uh, 1930s. Okay. But what we know is that it's very difficult to get to the bottom of the ocean because the pressure is so deep and so, or so heavy, and so it takes a lot to get down there. We didn't discover that there were actually springs feeding the oceans until the 1960s. So relatively recently that we've been able to see this. And yet, as God has this conversation with Job, he says, have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Now, Job could have got lucky. Right? Job could have been writing and said, you know, I think maybe the seas come from springs or I think the earth is hung on nothing. It's possible. But the reality is, in this conversation that he has with God, which I would recommend that you go read it, God says a lot of things that indicate that he would be the creator and the one who understands the way that the world works around us. And he mentions things that Job would have had no ability to claim. And if the opposite of this was true, we could look at that and we could say, this is a reason why scripture is not true. 
But the reality is we get this information and we can see that God has given it to him ahead of time, even though he would not have known it. The last place, we're actually not going to go there. I'm just going to give you the reference. Leviticus 15. It's a long chapter. You can go there if you want. It's kind of gross. Okay, I'm just going to warn you. Here's what Leviticus 15 has to do with. Leviticus 15 has to do with making sure that if somebody bleeds or something else, like on something, you don't share it with somebody else. Okay? So what they would say was, if, if you have an illness where there's blood or something and it's on the sheets that you're laying on, don't go and give those sheets to somebody else or don't just put them back on the bed. Take them and wash them. Now again, right, if you're thinking about this, is it possible that they realized all these thousands of years ago, if I bleed on you or I sneeze on you or I cough on you, you get what I have? Yes, they could have understood a base level communicable diseases. It's true. However, again, until just a few hundred years ago, doctors would do surgery on one patient, not wash their instruments, go to another patient and do surgery. And then they would go, I wonder why that guy has what that guy had, right? And all of a sudden, it, they connected it, right? We have to sterilize what we use going from one second to the other. Here's what I'm saying. In Leviticus 15, God helps us understand the idea of sterilization. I get it. We could have re they could have understood communicable diseases, but we, as a human race, until just a few hundred years ago, we're just figuring this out. And so today, as we understand medicine, we would say that there needs to be new tools every time you do something like this on a person. You have surgery or you get a tattoo or something like that. You want the things that they're using to be brand new. And so what does God do? He gives us information from thousands of years ago that we didn't understand fully until the last 50 to a few hundred years. Why is that? It's because God created the world. He understands the way that our world works. He gets it, and he helps us understand it. But again, if you're skeptical of this, you would ask probably this question, aren't miracles scientifically impossible? Like, okay, fine, maybe Job got lucky. Maybe they just understood things well, and we got it wrong for a few hundred years as, as a human race, or a few thousand years as a human race. But when we think about the Bible, we think about miracles, right? Like, have you tried to walk on water? Have you tried to turn water into wine? Have you tried to look at somebody who's blind and just say, you can see now, and that works, right? Doesn't science tell us that those things don't happen? And what I would say to that is simple, is that you're using the wrong tool. Now, why would I say that? I would say that because I believe that science can only be used to explain the natural world. Now, if you're listening to this, you're going to go, that's kind of a cop-out answer. And it kind of is. But here's what I know. If you're someone who is not a follower of Jesus and you would lean more into science than religion, you would not want me to say that I can use science to prove the supernatural. That's not a good way to go. I can't use science to, to prove the supernatural because science can only be used on the natural world. So then the inverse of that to me is to say science can't disprove something that it actually can't have anything to do with. We can't use science to talk about the supernatural because it's only used for the natural world. And God helps us understand that there are, there's a difference between the world that we live in that we can know and understand and the world that we will get to one day that we don't know and understand. And so we can't just use science to disprove miracles. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit, but I want to keep going. The second thing I want us to understand about science today is that science has proven that there's always more for us to discover. 
Science has proven that there is always more for us to discover. Let me give you an example. There was a, um, a discovery just in the last month or so, and scientists have been looking for a certain uh, cell in our brain that helps us remember something. Let me see if this is your, you've experienced this too. Have any of you ever experienced, um, you'll be watching a movie or a show, or you'll be in a crowded place, and you look and you see somebody and you go, I've seen that person before. Have you ever experienced that? You don't know anything about that person, right? You don't know their name. You don't know where they're from. You don't know what their job is. But you look at them and you're just like, I've seen that person. Like, why do I remember that face? And so scientists have dug into that for a while and tried to figure that out. Where does that come from? Why do I remember nothing about that person, but I remember their face? And just recently, they found a certain cell in our brain that takes that memory, that face, for whatever reason, and locks it away in long-term memory. So you could be like years from now, like maybe you're here and like years from now you see somebody like, I don't, where do I know that person from? It could have been five, six years ago. And for whatever reason, our brain decided to store it. They just found the reason that that happens. Now I would guarantee you, you go back a thousand years and people were doing the same thing. Like remembering faces and, and having that odd thing where I've seen you before, like that would have been happening, but it took us until now to kind of figure that out. Here's what science says, that science always leaves the door open for there to be more. We would never simply make a, a certain scientific discovery and be like, well, science is over. I'm done with that. Right? There are scientists all over the world working on different things, trying to create new medicines, trying to create new technology, trying to move us forward and create, or, create faster transportation. Transportation in, in 10 years is going to look a lot different. Why? Because scientists are working on this. There's always more for us to discover. And so what I would say is we don't need to look at science and say it's figured it all out. We can look at science and say it leads to something else. There's something else for us to discover, and there's something else for us to understand through science, just as we would assume in any scientific discovery. And one of the things that I would say is I think it leaves the door open for there to be something beyond science. There are things that we don't understand from science, right? There are coincidences that don't happen because they're scientific. Things just happen sometimes, and science doesn't have an answer for all of those things. Maybe they're going to try and find it. Maybe eventually they will. But until the last couple of months, there was no scientific reason why you remember that person's face from five years ago that you never met. And yet your brain locked it away. And so there's opportunity for us to understand more and for us to discover more. The third thing I want us to understand about science is that God actually encourages us to engage in scientific discovery. God encourages us to engage in science. I want to go briefly to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says this in verse 28. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and of all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God says to Adam and Eve, you guys get to live here. You get to figure out the world around you. You get to reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. Well, how would they do that? How would they learn about them? How would they, they would study them. They would engage in getting to know how these animals work and what they do. What would they do? They would watch them and they would discover things about them and they would do science so that they could understand the world around them. They would have been on a very base level, right? This is probably the kind of things that you would do with a first grader or second grader, like watching a certain 
thing. Like I remember in school, we we had the butterflies. You ever have that happen? They bring in the butterflies that were ready to like hatch, or they were they started as caterpillars, and then you you'd watch them. Or I think at some point too, we did it with baby chicks, and you would watch them hatch, and then you would watch them grow, and and we would do this. This was part of science, and this is what God encourages Adam and Eve to do. And so as we've gone throughout history, that ability has simply grown, so that we can understand more around us. I want to give us five principles that we understand from God that help us engage on a scientific level. These are not principles from me. There's these are principles, sorry, from a man named Kenneth Richard Samples. He actually gave 10 of them. I've boiled them down to five just to help us understand. The first thing he would say is this, the physical universe is a distinct objective reality. Like I said before, God helps us understand there's a world we live in that we can understand and engage with, just like he told Adam and Eve. He did not give, give the same instructions to Adam and Eve about the spiritual world. He didn't say reign over it. He didn't say govern it. He encourages us to have a relationship with him and understand our spirituality that way. But there's a very distinct difference between the objective world that we live in that God sends us into to understand. And then there's the world that we don't quite understand yet, that we have to lean into God to really, truly understand. The second thing is this, that the laws of nature exhibit order, patterns, and regularity. You know, if that wasn't true, science wouldn't exactly work the way it does. If there wasn't an order, if there wasn't regularity to things, we would simply do experiments and try and figure things out, and all we would find is chaos. And you would go there and you'd figure it out, but we wouldn't be able to wrangle in the chaos, right? There's just not a way to do that. And so if there wasn't this order or this regularity to things, we wouldn't be able to leverage science to be able to understand God or to be able to use for ourselves. So the fact that there's order teaches us something about God and gives us encouragement to engage in science. The third thing is this, that the world is good, valuable, and worthy of careful study. When God created the world, he saw it and he said it was good. And then he said to Adam and Eve, not just to reign over, but he said, you can eat from the trees in the garden, right? You can use it to nourish yourself. You can use it for good things. And so because God says it's good and it's valuable, it is worthy of us understanding what he has given us so that we can engage in those ways. The fourth thing is this. Human beings possess the ability to discover the universe's intelligibility. Not only do we exist in a world that we can study, but we have the capacity to be able to study it, to be able to discover it. And when we think about life maybe just happening by chance, it's even more incredible that our world has an order and a regularity to it and that we have the ability and the brains to understand what is exactly going on in that environment, to be able to read the owner's manual or the instruction manual so that we can understand the world that God has given us. And the fifth thing is this, that God encourages, even propels science through his imperative to humans to take dominion over nature. That's the verse we read. He encourages us to understand the world. He encourages us to discover things. He encourages us to know the world around us. So guess what? Sometimes, I think as Christians, sometimes, not all the time, we can be a little afraid. We can be a little worried about that headline. We can be a little worried about that discovery. We can be a little bit worried about the things that might go on over here. And sometimes that causes us to kind of like stay away from science. We don't like that, that idea or that whatever. But what I would say is that as Christians, we can lean into science as deeply as we can to understand God at a more deep level. And God is not afraid 
of the discovery that's going to be made of that study over here of what this scientist says. He gets it. He already knows the truth behind it, and so he is not afraid of those things. And in fact, he encourages us to be the ones on the front edge and leading scientific discovery. The fourth thing and the last thing I want us to understand about science is that science cannot prove or disprove God, but it can point us to it. We started our conversation today asking the question, asking the question, has science disproved Christianity? I would say that unequivocally, science cannot disprove Christianity. Except for one thing. If they find a grave and there's a body in it, and they can, through DNA, prove that it's Jesus, that he's still in the grave there, then science has disproved Christianity. It's the only way. But here's the opposite side. Science cannot prove God either. We can't prove Christianity. In the same way that science, the only way science could do it would be to find Jesus in a tomb and DNA test and figure out that it's Jesus. Okay, that's the way that you can disprove Christianity. But they, science, we can't test the fact that Jesus is actually in heaven right now. We can't. We can't prove that he rose from the dead through science and show that he did that and then show that he's in heaven right now. It's just not possible. And so while science can't prove or disprove God, it can point us to him. One of the things that I just want to share personally about this idea is, is science is the reason that I believe there's a God. I believe that Christianity is true because I believe what Scripture teaches about Jesus, and I believe he was a real man, and that he came, and that he died, and that he rose again. I believe all of that to be true, and that's what connects me to Christianity. But if they did find that grave tomorrow, and they proved through DNA testing that it was Jesus, I would have to give up Christianity. But I would have a very difficult time giving up that there wasn't a creator, a designer to the world around us. Because I just don't see how it could happen by accident. So that leads me to one last question. And the question is, why is it appealing to deny the existence of God and embrace science? Why is it appealing for some to completely deny Christianity, completely deny religion, and embrace science on a level that would almost be at a religious level? Why is that? You know, in the book that this sermon series is, is based off of, they tell a story and it's about a professor from Cambridge named Martin Rees. Martin Rees is, is just way smarter than I am, and he wrote a book that I don't think I could probably read a page of. But they talk about this book that he did a study into the world. Okay, It's something called the deep numbers of the world. And so he talks about six numbers that help us understand the world around us. And what those numbers break down to be are basically like the way that you measure gravity, the way that you measure things in physics. And again, I, I'm not good at physics, so I, I couldn't even have that conversation. But these numbers are very, very long. I mean like 20, 30 digits, sometimes 100 digits long. And he says if one of those numbers, if one digit in one of those numbers was off, the whole world would fall apart. And the fact of the matter is that these six numbers that he has studied have been so fine-tuned. It's like someone took and just like had dials and they fine-tuned the world exactly how it needed to be. That if those one of those dials was off, the world would not work the way it does. And so he says that, that we have three options when considering how we got here. He says, first of all, we assume that we are the one-time accident and it just so happened that everything worked together. And he actually says that that's not a good conclusion. That, that is completely illogical 
and we shouldn't land in that place. So option number one, we all just happened by one happy accident, not a good option. Okay, second option. There's a designer who created the world around us and put it into motion and gives it design and gives it purpose. That's the second option. The third option is that there are billions of universes that we just don't know about. And just so happens or that we happen to be in the one that worked. And so just imagine for a minute that there are just all these different universes that exist somewhere outside of what we understand and all of them pulled a lever on a slot machine and we just so happened to hit the jackpot. And all of the other ones either fell apart or didn't work, the numbers didn't line up, whatever. And in all of those options, we just happened to be in the one that worked. That's the one that Martin chooses to believe. And that kind of thing breaks my heart. Because what he would rather believe is that he's a cosmic accident, a cosmic jackpot, rather than believe that there's a God who created him, who loves him, and died for him. And so why? Why would it be appealing for someone to embrace science that way and set aside religion? I think the reason is because of this. Because science requires nothing from us. But God requires our worship. If you lean into science, science is just always going to be there. It's going to be the thing that just helps you understand the world around you, and it doesn't demand anything from you. It's not going to demand your money. It's not going to demand your worship. It's not going to demand that you live life in any different way. It's just going to show you how the world works. But the minute you step into the place where you would say there is a God, that means that you have to worship that God because he created the world around you, and he is in control of your life. And so we would say that you have to worship. This is not a new idea. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 20. It says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul says when we look outside and we see how incredible the world is around us, we can learn things about God that science cannot teach us. Science can't teach us or show us God's creativity. But we can see it, can't we? We can see the way that God has created the things, and, and there's no necessarily scientific equation to creativity. But we can see who he is, and Paul says his eternal power and his divine nature. But in verse 21 it says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark, and confused. Verses 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Many people don't worship birds and animals and reptiles anymore. But we worship people. We worship money. We worship experiences. We worship ideals. And when we get into this realm, we go, you know, science shows us so much. Why would we be so against worshiping God? It's because he does demand our worship. When we understand how incredible he is, it causes us to stand. And I would say this, that a scientific understanding of the world should leave us in awe of the creator. 
you know, this topic is so vast. I could probably spend four or five weeks teaching on this general idea. I don't have time to do that. But I want to give you just a quick homework assignment. If you go home today and you get on YouTube and you just search one phrase, if the earth was a golf ball, okay? If the earth was a golf ball, go home and watch that video. There's a, there's a video there by a pastor named Louis Giglio. He's a pastor in Atlanta. And he goes through this idea of if the earth was the size of a golf ball, how big the things in our universe would, would be in comparison. And it will blow your mind. So spend some time doing that today. Okay, that's your homework assignment. But here's where I want to land. If you're in the room listening and you are not a follower of Jesus, I would simply challenge you and say, would you rather be a cosmic accident, a cosmic jackpot, or would you rather worship a God who made you and loves you? That's up to you. For those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, how do we use science? Do we worry about it? Do we shy away from it? Or do we use it as a tool to understand the world around us? I'll say I wasn't good at this in school. I did not like chemistry. I don't like math, so I didn't like chemistry. I didn't do well in physics. But what I wish I had done was I would have used it as a way to understand God and the depths of which he has created us and the way that he is engaged in the world around us. So when someone asks you this question, has science disproved Christianity? The answer is absolutely not. Can it prove Christianity? Absolutely not. But it can show us who God is and it can prove to us that there's someone out there who created it, designed it, and revealed it to us. And that we should use it to understand him and to be in awe and worship of our creator. Let's pray to end our time this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of science that you have given us, for the ability to study and understand your world, that you've given us the capacity in our brains to be able to understand that, and, and for all the blessings that we've received through it, whether it's medicine or technology or transportation, all those things that we've been able to use to our advantage through science. And God, we ask in this difficult question where we there seems to be this dichotomy between science and Christianity that we would help to be a bridge in that space, that we would study science, that we would discover things, that we would learn about you, and that it would cause us to be in even deeper awe of you as the creator. We ask that you would help us to use these conversations to have other conversations with people that might be questioning this and that we can show them just exactly how amazing you are through the science we understand today. In Jesus' name.